0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmanuelAG.com. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to once again look into your word. I thank you for what you're showing us through the book of the Ephesians. Lord, I pray that today that you will just open our hearts and open our ears and our minds to understand what you would show us. And Father, give me utterance just to speak it clearly as I ought. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm reading this and it says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You know, if we're going to be useful at all for the purposes of God, we've got to come to a place that we live beyond our natural ability, right? Right? There are things in this world that are way beyond us. I mean, natural things are beyond us. I can't imagine to begin when our politicians talk about, you know, the deep state, drain the swamp, all those catchphrases we hear. I cannot imagine or comprehend the level of intricacies woven together in in those systems to know even what to do sometimes. And let alone the uh, spiritual things that are going on, the cosmic powers that are ruling, that are animating these, these people in these places of power. I can't know what to do, but I can do the right thing if I'm led by the Spirit of God, and I can do even beyond what my ability is if I'm walking in the kingdom of God, in the armor of God. Amen? Amen. So, We've got to come to a place that's beyond our natural ability. When it says put on the, uh, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his, his might, he's not just telling us, hey, there's more power available for you. He is saying that, but that's not the real thrust of it. The real thrust of it is, is if you're going to do anything for God, you have got to learn how to stand in his strength, in his might. Otherwise, it will be impossible for you to stand. We've got to stand in the strength of his might. Do you remember when Jesus gave the Great Commission in the end of Luke? I like how every every gospel says it a little different. Look at Luke chapter 24 and verse 7. It, he says that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And he says, you're witnesses of these things. And behold, in verse 49 I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. See, Jesus gave them this commission, right? But then he tells them what? Don't leave the city until you've got this power because you need this power. This power is mission critical. Without the power, you cannot do the mission. So don't even go out there and try until you have this power. In other words, we should not expect success without being clothed with power from on high. So when he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might in Ephesians, this is mission critical. There is no standing against the schemes of the devil except for in the strength of his might. And I'm looking at the stand against the schemes of the devil. We hit a little bit last time. This is the exact same word that we find in Ephesians 4, a few chapters earlier in verse 14. It talks about that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and by deceitful schemes. And and that word there uh, in the Greek, it's methodia, it's schemes. It's like this, the devil has got a playbook, man. He's got a playbook, it's a big, thick book, man with with schemes and plans for every situation that he's seen throughout all all of human human history and he just knows what buttons to press he's masterful at it he's good at it and so he teaches it to his demons you know and i imagine he's got little sticky notes or dog ears does anybody else hear dog ear a book when you read it yeah i hate that don't do that If I ever lend you a book, don't give it back like all bent up, okay? My mom used to do that. I'd get a book after her. The whole thing is dog-eared and underlined like four times and highlighted. It's like, stop it. I just like make a little note in the front, the page number, underline it. Don't dog-ear it. But I imagine Satan's playbook is all dog-eared and sticky notes sticking out in bookmarks. You know what I'm saying? I'm thinking like you probably have a sticky note right there in this chapter that talks about how to keep people blinded from the truth of the gospel. Right. He probably has a dog-eared in one of the chapters about how to keep Christians from ever stepping out into their authority. Yeah, he probably has another bookmark in how to keep ministries and ministers ineffective or even how to infiltrate and topple churches. I'll bet you he's got plays. I mean, he's got plays for all of these. Come on, how many times do we see the same plays over and over and over, year after year after year? He's got nothing new, But he doesn't need anything new because this stuff works, man. When you open yourself up to, when you give into it, it just works. There's no defense against it unless we're walking in the power of God with the armor of God. He's got dog-eared the chapter on how to, the power of fear, the power of pride, the power of ignorance. He's got all these things marked in his playbook. He knows exactly how to press those exact right buttons, man. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Come we gotta get to the place where we just don't even have buttons to be pressed. Because yeah. mm-hmm. yes. sometimes, man, I've been predictable in life. You know exactly what to say. And if you're married and you're got if you're in close relationship with people, you know what each other's buttons are. And if you're loving and kind, you don't press them. But you know you can. <laughs> it doesn't take long to press them. Well, Satan knows our buttons, man. And we need to just we need to come to a place where we're in that, in God, and he can't find those buttons. Right. But, you know, resisting the devil is often very practical. There's a couple of things I've been thinking about, and this is not exhaustive by any means, but, you know, unforgiveness is big. It's huge. It opens the door wide open to the devil to do his schemes. It's one of the schemes of the devil. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10. <clears throat> he says, this is Paul writing, he says, "'Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. "'Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, "'has been for your sake.' Uh, in the presence of christ verse 11 this is where i was trying to get so that we would not be outwitted by satan for not we are not ignorant of his designs what had happened here was in his last letter first corinthians he wrote there was a man who was committing sexual immorality and he was telling him put this man out of the church man do not allow him to be here living in open sin put and he was very hard on him and they did And evidently, this man came to a place of repentance where he was wanting to be restored back into fellowship. And Paul is saying, man, go ahead, restore him into fellowship. You forgive him. I forgive him. Why? Because we're going to walk in forgiveness because it would be a scheme of the devil to bring him back here and us be divided, right? To say, okay, let's bring him back into fellowship. But some of you are still not forgiving him. Some of you are still holding against him. You know what I'm saying? Think about this. How many times um, have, you know, th- th- look, this is what creates that toxic environment, you know, that gives the devil the upper hand. I forgive you, but I'll always remember what you've done. I'll forgive you, but I'm going to make you pay for this for the rest of your life. That's not forgiveness, is it? He says, forgive Ephesians 4, 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you, right? In the same way that God forgave you, to the same degree that God forgave you. What should forgiveness look like here? Come on, you know, for some of you, for some people, the key to receiving that unconditional forgiveness from the Father, from God yourself, is to extend unconditional forgiveness to somebody who's wronged you. Because with the same measure we measure with is the same measure it's measured back to us. Why? Because the same hand that gives is the same hand that receives. And if I can only give a conditional forgiveness and continually remind you of everything you've done for the rest of your life, that's how I receive from God. And even though he's not bringing it up, I keep bringing it up. Every time the devil brings it up, I have condemnation over and over again. And for for some people, Maybe, maybe somebody here today, I don't know, but it's time just to let that thing go completely, unconditional forgiveness. Yeah. You free that thing, you go open-handed, and then you can walk in your unconditional free forgiveness from the Father. Yeah. Anger. Anger is another one. How about anger? Look at Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Look, letting the sun go down on your anger gives opportunity to the devil. You know, anger is not sin, but it can lead to sin. You know, in many ways, love and anger are the exact same emotion. Think about that. Because when you really love somebody, you become angry at anything that would try to harm them or hurt them. It's the same emotion, right? The opposite of, of, of anger or of love is not always anger. The opposite of love is indifference. Think about that. The biggest way that you can, you can uh, you know, show somebody you don't care is to be indifferent toward them. And that's why some kids, man, they'll act out because they want that emotion. They want to be loved, but they'll settle for um. Anger, if that's all they can get, right? Love me or hate me, but don't ignore me. Wow. Thank you. But here's the problem with anger. The Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. We're living in a time where anger is just constantly stoked, constantly stirred up. People are angry, man. Just go, go on social media and read the comments. Go drive down the highway at rush hour. People are angry. We have generational anger. It's passed on. It's stirred up and passed on generation to generation to generation. And for what? This generation alive didn't offend you, but it's it's stirred up and it's passed on. We have got to get, let anger go. Amen. Because it's a tool of the devil and it's got no place among us. So be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. How about Pride. And reputation, look at this, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. Paul is listing in 1 Timothy 3 the qualifications for church leadership. And he says that he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up uh, with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Look, practical things, right? Practical things to keep us from opening the door to the devil. Let somebody prove themselves before you, you place them in leadership. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So we care about how people think on the outside, right? I mean, we don't cater to them in the sense that we're not gonna violate truth. We're not gonna come off of truth. We're not gonna give up what God is doing and the move of the spirit in our church to cater to people on the outside. But we care, we wanna be of good reputation. We want to be above reproach. We don't want to have churches where when the world looks at us and they say, man, you just after the money. We don't want that to be true, right? right. We want that to be, we want to be, have a good reputation. These things matter. And um, they're safeguards. They're practical guidelines to keep us from opening the door to the devil. So he says in Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is a big picture verse. This is like a framing verse, you know, that you can take your worldview from this perspective. You know, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of information about the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers. uh, There are people you can go to and get a lot of information, but they got it from somewhere besides the Bible because the Bible just doesn't give you all that much about this. But it does give us enough that we can know that they exist. The Bible affirms their existence. It affirms their involvement in the world. It tells us that we're engaged with them. It tells us that our conflict is not with other people, but with the spiritual forces that are operating in the world today. And so while the scriptures don't give us all the details, it does give us what we need to know to successfully take our stand against them, amen. And it says, well, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but we're wrestling with these spiritual things in the heavenly places. This is an interesting phrase, in the heavenly places. It probably should be translated in the heavenlies in the heavenlies. It appears in this form only in the book of Hebrews, or in the book of Ephesians, rather. And it appears several times. Um, Obviously, when we're talking about in the heavenlies, where the evil is residing, we're not talking about uh, evil being in heaven where God is sitting on his throne. We're talking about something else, right? We're not talking about the throne room of heaven. We're talking about the heavenlies. We're talking about a a place that is connected to the earth more than to heaven. That's where the spiritual wickedness is ruling. We're we're speaking of an earthly realm because there's no spiritual wickedness in heaven. So what wickedness is operating in the heavenlies that we're talking about? I wanna refer you back to chapter two and verse one. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the, here's the word, the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sins of disobedience, the spirit of the power of the air, that's the heavenlies we're talking about in the air above the earth, in this earthly realm, it's spiritual wickedness and they've set up dominions and rulership and they're influencing what's going on on the earth. And, and he's called here the prince of the power of the air. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, God tells him, uh, he's called the God of this world, actually, the God of this world. And through deceit, he has surpassed. It means he's taken without authority, Adam's authority. Through deceit, he tricked him into eating the fruit and he took Adam's authority. So when it says that Jesus now is seated in the heavenlies, what does it mean to be seated? It's a symbol of authority, amen? So he's seated in the heavenlies and he's taken, he's restored Adam's lost authority. He's taken it back. You can read that in Ephesians 2 and 5 and 6, go down a little farther in that chapter two. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him, come on, us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So the fact that we are seated with him means that that authority has also been restored to us. That's good news, isn't it? Which means we have a responsibility. Right. I've I've been I've heard preaching all my life about the authority that we have. I've heard very little about the responsibility we have. And so, you know, Jesus said to them in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. If he already had all authority in heaven and earth, why did he say all authority has been given to me? Because he delegated authority to Adam, Adam it was usurped. It was taken from adam he comes now and he kicks the devil out and he takes and he's now restored adam's lost authority amen, amen. so now all authority has been given to who jesus right so that means how much authority does the devil have none, none. zero what well, he has his ability and the same thing he always had he didn't have authority to begin with he has deceit and lying and ability but he has no authority Which is good news because that means you can't, even if you make a mistake and leave the door open to the devil, you still have the authority to kick him out when you realize what's going on. Because you can say, I opened the door. I must deserve this. No, you don't. He's a thief. I I woke up this morning and checked all the locks on my house before I left and we had the back door unlocked. That does not give a thief a right to walk around my back door and come into my house just because I left it unlocked. He would still be a thief. Right? Mm-hmm. The fact that he's a thief, okay, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. What makes him a thief is that he does not have authority. Mm-hmm. If he had authority, he wouldn't be a thief. Mm-hmm. He'd be taking what was his. Think about it. So the devil has zero authority, Jesus has all authority, and you and I are seated with him together in heavenly places. Come on. Come on, give him a hand clap. So through the cross, this is what God did through Jesus on the cross. Colossians 2.15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing triumphing over them in him. Come on. When you put on Christ, when you put on the armor of God, God is able to triumph over them through you. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to still enforce this victory. And I said it, I, I just wanted to touch on it for one second. Uh, last time I preached on Ephesians, I talked about taking a stand. What is that stand? Why doesn't it say to attack or advance? It's because Jesus has already won the ultimate victory. That's the completed work that you and I are standing in. We are standing as soldiers of the cross, of God, of the kingdom of heaven, having already um because of the work of Jesus standing in our salvation. And so why do we need to stand? Because it's already yours. The devil would try to come and take your health, take your peace, take your joy, take your salvation, bring you worry, doubt, and fear. But why do you stand? Because it's already yours. And we can stand and and, and, uh, take a stand in the armor of God against what the devil is trying to steal from what already rightfully belongs to the body of Christ. You are seated with him in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1.3 says that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ephesians 3.10 says that through the church, I quoted this earlier, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He's still working through us the same way he's worked through Jesus all along. That's what he wants to do. So I'm gonna just talk, I'm gonna close this whole whole series on Ephesians out talking about the armor of God for just a couple of minutes what exactly is the armor of God you know sometimes we (coughs) emphasize the earthly aspect of the armor of God and I I think this is because you know we we teach kids and I remember when I was teaching kids church we went and bought a whole coat suit of armor and uh, it was life size man we painted each one as we were teaching it the shield the breastplate the shoes you know everything and then we went and got one of those big wrestling belts and uh, weightlifting belts and put it put it on there because we couldn't find a belt that was already on there. But uh, but you know sometimes we emphasize the physical aspect of the armor, the shield, the sword, the helmet. But what actually is the armor? You know, if you go downstairs in the men's bathroom, ladies, you can do it if you want to. Just knock first. But there's all this, the, the armor of God stuff for the, for the kids, you know? And you got a sword down there. You got pictures of the helmets and the shield and all that. But see, I guess it would be kind of hard to make a picture of truth and righteousness, readiness and faith, right? How do you capture that in a picture? And that's the same thing with words. Paul is trying to capture these things in a word picture. So he talks about the sword, the shield, the helmet. But really, what is the armor of God? It is truth, right? Truth is the armor. Right? Righteousness is the armor. Readiness, faith, salvation, the word, these things are the weapons that we have. This is the armor of God. So um, if you look at the word truth, it says, you know, put on the belt of truth. I just want to say it a little different just to jog our thinking. Put on truth. Put on truth. What is truth? In the Greek, The word uh, has to do with something being unveiled, uncovered. That's what it means in the Greek, something that is uncovered. You know, you only know, you only really know what heaven has uncovered, what heaven has revealed. Think about that. If God wanted something to be hidden, it would be hidden. We were studying as we were working our way through Ephesians, it talks about the mystery of the gospel that has been hidden for ages, has now been revealed through the apostles, right? It stayed hidden exactly as long as God wanted it to be hidden. And it was not unveiled until God opened it up and unveiled it. So no matter how much we give ourselves to mental exercises, we cannot arrive at truth unless somebody who knows and operates and is all truth chooses to reveal it and open it to us. That's why obedience is better than trying to figure everything out. Because I cannot in my finite mind and my limited ability ever understand all truth enough to where I can walk in it. But I can be obedient to somebody who does know truth and I can walk in that and I can be right every time. So, you know, you, you look at uh, the Old Testament, you look at the story and you see how God's dealing with the, the creation narrative, and Noah's flood and his calling of Abraham. And through this story, you see a revelation of truth. And then he gives the law. He gives the Ten Commandments. And through the law and the commandments, there's another revelation of truth. But it's not all the truth. It comes; It's coming in degrees. He's beginning to put a witness for himself so that he can bring the people along so they could think a certain way so that when the Messiah comes, he can unveil fullness of truth. And so Jesus comes, and it says what? The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So in Jesus Christ, we have the truth. But truth should also be understood here because of the way it's phrased. It says, um, it could be understood here in the sense of truthfulness or trustworthiness. You can rely on things that are trustworthy, right? You can rely on things that are truthful. And so when we put on truth, it's God's truth that we're, we're relying on. This is a foundational piece of armor. Truth is the foundation of everything, amen? And then it does lead us to the question, though, am I trustworthy? Are you trustworthy? From the perspective of heaven, for the purposes of God, are we trustworthy? Can you count on us? So put on truth, righteousness, Boy, this is a this is a loaded word, righteousness. It's a big word in the New Testament. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I want to tell you the three ways that righteousness is understood in the New Testament. Number one is simply doing what is right. It's the most basic definition of the word, doing what is right. Things just work better when you do the right thing, right? <clears throat> Things just go better. God can bless us when we're doing the right thing. And so just doing the right thing is like wearing a, Chest plate of protection because we're just living right. But number two, uh, it's the righteousness that's been given to us because of what Jesus has done. Theologians, what they call it, imputed righteousness, right? Is a righteousness that's not mine. I don't deserve it, but it's been given to me as a gift. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Man, Selah, right? Pause and think on that if you got your Amplified Bible. Think about that. He made him to be who knew no sin. So whose sin was it? Whose shortcoming was it that he took upon himself? Those my sins, right? So that in him I could become the righteousness of God. Whose righteousness am I made righteous with? I don't have any righteousness of my own. He had no sin of his own, so he took my sin upon himself. I have no righteousness of my own. And so I made righteousness with his righteousness. Amen. Amen. That's why we lean heavy on that. And 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 it's beyond your feelings, it's beyond your emotions, it's beyond your circumstances. When you've come into Christ, you are standing in right standing with the Father. And one of the things that the Satan will try to do to get that armor off of you is to tell you it's not true. Yep. You've messed up. You didn't do right. You know, whatever. And he's like, no. Hey, I, doing right does help things go a lot better. But I'm telling you what, my righteousness is of him. Amen. It's not because I've earned it. He, he's got me in this. And I'm not I'm not putting this down, this armor. And I'm not coming out. I made a mistake. But that's not between me and the devil. That's between me and my Father. And he's, I've got an advocate with the Father. He was ready to cleanse me and bring me back in and keep me where I need to be and protect me. I'm not taking, I'm not laying this armor down just because I feel like I've messed up one time. Don't lay it down. So that's number two, the righteousness that's given to you because of what Jesus has done. And number three, I love this one. Righteousness is just God doing what is right. In the prayers of the Old Testament, they would appeal to God, not on the basis of their own righteousness, but on his character and his nature and his willingness to do what is right. Again, it's a big foundational thing. It's like truth. It's like I'm appealing to God because he's the God who will do what is right. And I think that's another aspect of the armor of righteousness that we need to always be aware of when we put it on Man, God will do right by us. Yes. Yeah. Readiness and, um, oh, there, this came to me. I, I see a note jotted down. I'll read it. I'll quote it. Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know that he'll do right. Why would you seek him if you didn't expect him to do right by you? So um, readiness, it talks about the readiness given by the gospel of peace, you know, the gospel shoes, the shoes of peace, all the different ways we illustrate this. I want to emphasize readiness just because that's what the grammar lends itself to. It talks in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. I want to be an honorable vessel, not a dishonorable vessel. Okay. Yeah. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master. I want to be useful. Useful to the master of the house, ready. Somebody say ready. ready. Ready for every good work. Man, we need to be ready for what God is doing. Things are happening quickly right now, right? Sometimes God tells you and you know, what's going on ahead of time but man i mean i woke up one day in israel's at war with Palestine again that came out of nowhere i I wasn't expecting that i didn't read the signs there are things that are happening some things i know i can see them coming from a mile away some things i wake up and shoot man there's tornadoes out in tennessee six people are dead i wasn't expecting that i didn't even know there was a storm coming so six people are dead over near nashville 20 some people injured thousands without power Lots of property destroyed. I don't even know the extent. Are we ready to move in any situation that might come up? And so we need to live ready. Amen. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, a soldier lives ready, not because he's trying to earn earn something. He's living ready because his life depends on it. Right. Right. You live ready. You, you discipline yourself. You learn how to use your weapons because when it's time for you to go, it's not time to start training. Right. We should be training all along because how you train is how you will fight. And so we need to be doing the things that we need to be doing now in times of peace when we're not engaged in a, in a heavy conflict so that when the conflict comes, we know what to do without thinking about it. So be ready. Matthew 25, the parable of the 10 versions, right? They they took oil. Five of them had oil. Five of them didn't, right? They're waiting for the bridegroom to go into the, the wedding feast. And about midnight or whatever, they start running out of oil. And uh, they said, Blood, give us some oil. And they're like, we don't have enough. You go to the town and buy your own oil. So five of them leave. And what's it say? The bridegroom came when they were gone. And those who were ready went in. Those who were ready. Live ready. Amen? Amen? Live ready. Faith. Oh, this is a good one, too. I mean, come on. You can preach series on each one of these things, can't you? Um, but faith. In the New Testament, the word translated faith um, means firm persuasion. The word pistis means firm persuasion. Um, The Old Testament uses uh, their concept of faith more often within the idea of faithfulness. Um, In fact, the New Testament word can mean either faith or faithfulness. It's just context that determines how it's translated. But uh, uh, when we... When when, when we're dealing with faithfulness, uh, like in the Old Testament, we're talking about like Israel's faithfulness toward God, right? And God's faithfulness toward Israel. That would be the context. In the New Testament, you know, we're talking about uh, putting our faith, our trust in someone who is faithful. So as a part of the armor of God, um, I want my firm persuasion to be rooted and anchored in something that is faithful, that's trustworthy. Right. And so the, the faith then, my, it, it, again, it's just my to take a big concept and boil it down to something so simple it is putting my trust in his faithfulness. It's the right response to him being faithful. Right. That's faith. Now, you can go and read Hebrews chapter 11 and you can preach on that for forever because it's a, a, a the faith is a faith that leads to action. It's not just belief. what you believe, you will act on. That's how we know what you really believe. But I'm not going to get off on that today. I'm just talking about this shield called faith, man. What protects me from the fiery darts is that he is trustworthy. Yes. And I can rest in him. His faithfulness, Psalm 91 says, will be your shield. His faithfulness will be your shield. It's not me always getting it right. It's his faithfulness that's my shield. Isn't that good? Yeah. And finally, salvation. Well, it's not finally. We have one more after that. <laughs> second, to, second to finally. I'm doing good. I only have 14 more pages. Don't worry. Um, uh, go back to Ephesians 2. I want to read you these 10 verses just because talking about salvation, look where the armor of God is in the book of Ephesians. This is salvation. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among who we we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Not a very good picture, is it? But this is what we were saved from. This what we were saved from. This is what we are saved to. Are you ready? But God, somebody say, but God. but God. Aren't you thankful for words like this in the Bible? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Come on. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not of a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for him, that we should walk in them. So thank God. I mean, we're not just saved from hell. Yeah.
1: Man, we're the object of his affection.
0: He wants to show his kindness and goodness toward you and to me for all eternity. Starting right now. Because come on, eternal life starts right now. Salvation starts right now. You know, in the Bible, you got past, present, and future salvation. Uh, I have been saved, but I am being saved and I will be saved. Right? I think every Bible scholar believes and agrees to that. But what have I been saved? Man, immediately I'm rescued out of the kingdom of Satan. I'm placed in his kingdom. I'm secure. But as I live through this life, I am being saved. I'm experiencing salvation every day. Right? right? The word salvation is, a, is healing, preservation, protection. So every time God protects me, every time God heals me, as I renew my mind and I walk more like Jesus, I am being saved every day. And what is the Christian hope? Is the hope of that final resurrection being a part of the new creation, I will be saved. Past, present, future, spirit, soul, and body. Salvation is big. You can preach forever on salvation, right? But uh, take up, this is your armor. Don't lay this armor down. This is the thing that should frame your world and your perspective. Man, I don't feel saved. Who cares if you don't feel saved? Have you been saved? You are walking and don't lay this down just based on how you feel for a moment. Feelings are temporary. Truth endures forever. Amen. Amen. And finally, here you go. The word. Okay. The word of God. Sword of the spirit. Boy, you could preach on that for forever too. Couldn't you? all things created by the word he upholds all things by the word of his power the word of god is sharper than any two-edged sword forever O oh lord your word is settled in heaven i mean those are just a few that come to mind you can you can talk about the word of god forever but uh, i want to read you this quote from ff uh, F. bosworth it says ff F. bosworth was a um, he had a he had a tremendous healing ministry and he goes all the way back to the early 1900s he was a uh, he was actually, he was part of the Assemblies of God for a while when they first formed too. But he was a healing evangelist and he wrote the book called Christ the Healer, which was a, a wonderful book on this. And he said, because of God, his faithfulness and his promises, faith is the surest ground that it's possible to stand on. To the man who is not enlightened or does not see the promise of God, it's stepping out into space. But to those who have faith in God's word, it's walking on the foundation of the universe. Amen. Wow. Because God spoke, and everything that came into existence came into existence. If he's given you a word, if he's given you a promise, you can walk on it. Faith is not a leap in the dark, man. Faith is walking on his word. Right. You guys know Reinhard Bonnke? I think some of you do. I heard him preach a long time ago. He said when he told Peter to get out of that boat, Peter said, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And what did Jesus say? One word, Come. And so he said Peter threw his leg over the boat and stepped out on the sea. And he stepped over on the M of the O and the M because why? He's actually not walking on the water. He's walking on the promise of God, the command of God that said, come. That's what enabled him to walk was one word from Jesus, come. And so what word has God spoken to you, man? But that's 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 your sword, man. That's your armor. That's your weaponry. God's word in your mouth and in your heart is a weapon. And we talked about it a little bit um, uh, last last one. I don't want to get off way into it, but you put his word in your heart and in your mouth and it is an uh, offensive weapon. Again, that's the offensive weapon in the armor. Everything else is a shield, it's defensive, but the word of God is your offensive weapon. That's why he says, speak to that mountain. Open your mouth and speak to it. Speak to that situation. I think, you know, go back to the devil's playbook. Man, man, all that confession stuff. It's not, it's just, you know, you can just have what you say. No, faith has to be in two places. You believe, right, in your heart, confess with your mouth. Sometimes we've tried to confess things we don't believe in our heart. Sometimes it takes some time. Go to prayer. Settle it with God. See what's really in your heart. Be honest with Him about it. Build it into your heart. Let it come out of your mouth. And let your situation change. Speak to that mountain. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Thank you. We don't exist in a vacuum. Here's my closing thoughts. You know, you can cast off a worldview, you can cast off a belief system, but you never arrive at a place where you don't have a belief system. Some people think that they can live and be uh, to a place where they've stepped out of all worldviews and they have this neutral perspective where they can see everything clearly, but you really can't. How do you get rid of one paradigm? You adopt another paradigm, right? But you go from perspective to perspective to perspective. Nobody really lives above this world where they can look at things um, in, in a purely non-biased way. And so here's my point. You you get rid of a belief system by replacing it with another belief system. Simple, right? So if you reject Christianity, what have you left yourself open to? If you've rejected the one worldview, the one perspective that God has given us, that God has revealed, what else are we open to in this world? We're no longer protected, we're no longer protected from the God of this world who works in the sons of disobedience. There's real spiritual forces out there that if you do not have the armor of God, you are vulnerable to, you are wide open to their influence, and they're working through you, and they're working in you. And we need to know that. Um, this, uh, Psalm 11:3 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The foundation to the, the, the new worldview, the new perspectives out there are, are trying to attack the foundations, right? right? Things that were just like common sense for generations, for millennia are now being turned on their head. If I give up truth, where do I go? if I believe that this book right here is is revealed truth and I'm willing to walk away from it to think that I can reach some higher level of truth in my reasoning, what am I opening myself up to? If I give up right living or if I place my faith in something that can be shaken rather than the person and character of God, what should I expect my outcome to be? The foundations, man, are being attacked right now. You know, marriage is not no longer protected. It's no longer valued or even honored. Childhood and the innocence of childhood, it's been stripped out of our culture. Holiness is mocked in the public square. People openly mock Christianity. But look at what they've opened themselves up to. Look at what else they're believing. So I make no apologies for this book make no apologies for what God has revealed of Himself. Amen? Amen. So put on the whole armor of God yeah. and take your stand against what's going on. Yeah. <coughs> I threw a whole lot out there at you today. But I wanted to get it all out because it's the end of the year. I'm running out of Sundays to wrap up the Ephesians. I didn't want to wait till February for the last one. <laughs> but uh, let's just... Let's just take a moment, and we don't need any music or anything. Let's just take a moment. Let's just bow our heads and let's just seek the Lord. And maybe something I said today uh, just you know stirred your heart and sparked you. Just take a moment, settle it with Him right now. Just determine that you're going to go out and you're going to adopt that this thing into your life. That you're going to you know maybe it was the forgiveness thing. Maybe it was just just taking a stand in God's Word. Maybe it's just encouragement. To know that, man, no matter what kind of crazy stuff is going on out there, I'm telling you, if you're in the word of God, you're not the crazy one. Sometimes you look at this stuff and you're thinking, have I lost my mind? No, you've not. You have not. Because when you leave the truth, when you leave the foundations that God has provided, you are open and vulnerable to anything. And that's what we're seeing going on in the world right now. We're seeing the most crazy things coming just to undermine and deceive a whole generation. But I don't want to see this generation destroyed. And the thing I need to do first, the first thing I need to do is to be clothed with power from on high. The first thing I need to do is to put on the whole armor of God. I need to be walking in faithfulness and righteousness and holiness. I need to be clothed with this power on high so that I can first demonstrate it in my life and fight from a place of truth, fight from a place of a sure footing. And so, Father God, we just come to you today. We love you. Thank you for your word. Again, I thank you for what you're doing in our church. I'm so Grateful and overwhelmed by just the kindness that you've showed to us over the years, and uh, I know you've got something special for us, Lord. We're excited about the year to come. We're not we're not dreading it. We're, we're we're picking up our shield. We're picking up our armor, and we're running forward with you. And I just want to declare, even just that by a by a statement of faith, man, that this next year, twenty twenty four, is going to be even a better year. We're going to grow in the Spirit. We're going to do more. We're going to know more. We're going to see more more spiritual activity. We're going to see more of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And Father God, we just commit ourselves to you this day to put on the full armor of God and be all that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.